Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander, and I'm here with a special guest. But before we get to him, I'm here with my co-host, Don Grafham. Don, how are you? Oh, truly. Doing, doing good, John. <laughs> no, it's good. It's spring. It's 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 a great time of year. Yeah, have you I, been I seeing your favorite birds come back? Oh, this is the perfect time of year for the birds to come back. I have all the feeders set out. Uh, we did have some wood ducks the other day, which are spectacular. Have you seen a wood duck? You don't no. even know what a wood duck no, looks like. No, you no. Don't. How many? No, I don't know. No, it's a stunning. <laughs> I was going to go into that rhyme about woodchucks, but that's not, no, that's wood duck. I, I got really <laughs> No, no, but this is the time of year, John. Get your feeders out, put out some grape jelly, make sure you have some sugar water. You'll see some hummingbirds, maybe some Orioles. You're going to, you're going to love it. Okay. I'm not going to talk about bird watching probably ever again, but you did give me a bird feeder that you made yourself. And I will say I that very few birds have come to eat out of that bird feeder. Well, so something must be wrong. You're a rookie. You have to it must keep be my fault. bird watching game. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, beyond the bird watching discussion, I'm really excited for our guest today, but I'm going to let him introduce himself. Who are you and what exactly do you do? Because and what we're birds, excited you're here. What birds are you looking forward to this spring? Yeah, I really hate to interrupt this conversation, <laughs> actually. Uh, my name is Ray Zafke, and I'm the executive director of ministry development here and have known you two for years. And uh, my wife and I are also avid bird watchers. Yes. But I don't know how much a wood duck could chuck wood. There we go. That's what I was going for. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, what do you do? Oh, I'm the, uh, oh, I, I mentioned that, didn't I? Like, I'm the executive director of ministry development, and I oversee the teams at Eagle Brook that create our different ministries for kids, students, adults, and help people grow in our five values. Awesome. I may not have been paying attention because I was still thinking about the bird watching discussion. So we're off to a bad start, but we're going to dial it in. I love it. Right here. Ray, I am really excited to have you because it's fun to think about Man, almost 11 years ago, you sat across a table from my wife, Emily, and I, Green Mill Restaurant, Mm. uh, essentially interviewing us. I think at the time you were just grilling us about life and who we were, Uh, but interviewing us for our roles at Eaglebrook Church. And that was almost 11 years ago. Thank you for hiring us. And Don, you were part of that too. Green Mill? No, but you were a part of hiring us. We're really (laughs) grateful for that, truly. But Ray, if I can be so bold to describe your job this way, but uh, your job and you've already explained this a little bit, but it's to develop strategies to help people cradle to grave grow spiritually in their faith from those little, you know, I don't have these anymore, so I can say this. It's the little snot-nosed babies mm. to the mid-sized snot-nosed, <laughs> but super lovable elementary kids to middle school, high school. But it doesn't stop there because you also work with ministry development and for adults with groups serving and care to provide strategies for all people to grow in their faith. And here's why I'm excited for people to hear our conversation today. I think every person, whether they can articulate it or not, would love to grow spiritually, truly. I think it's almost universally true that there's a deep longing within all of us to grow closer to our creator. Now, you know, as well as I do, that many people, maybe even a majority of people would not describe it that way, but there's something in them that longs to grow closer to their creator. Many would deny it. Again, many wouldn't wouldn't describe it that way. Some may claim to have never felt that, 
but there's something in every person. So if you're a leader in a church, a pastor, a speaker, someone who works in kids or student ministries, a volunteer in one of those areas, or just someone who also wants to help people grow spiritually, no matter your context, we're going to dive in with Ray to discuss just how to do that. Because Ray, I think you are one of the premier experts in this area. Um, But we often say one of the most important things we provide as a church is our kids' programming, our kids' ministry. So I want to start there. How do we create world-class environments, world-class ministries for our kids? How do we do that? Yeah, two things come to mind, John. I think first, it starts with vision. Um, What is the next generation worth to you? And um, what's it like or what's at stake in the life of a kid or in a student? And I think it's everything. The church is the hope of the world, and, and we know it starts with our littlest ones, even those ones in snot-nosed, <laughs> diapered kids. Like It starts there, and it's so very important. So that's the first thing. You have to have a vision for it at your church. And then the second part is is you have to look. Does your, does your budget and your staffing plan and your church building and your strategies, does it actually match that vision? You must invest in kids and students by having the best environments, resources, and leaders, period. And not three years from now, now. Yeah. Man, what's the next gen- generation worth to? That's a great question, isn't it? Oh, well, it's critical. And, you know, I was thinking about our conversation here. Uh, we're sitting here spring 2021. My youngest son is in his final month of Rev, our student ministries for senior high students. And so we're on the final stretch. He has gone through all 18 years at this ministry. So it started in the kids' ministry 18 years ago for him. He literally was in the nursery. He was in all the pre-elementary stuff, the elementary stuff, ground zero, Rev. And and he's he's gone every Wednesday night, even since he's had a license, without me ever saying, you should go. I've never on a Wednesday night said, Caleb or Tyler, for that matter, you guys should go on a Wednesday night. They've, they've gone all the way through. They've made the choice. Even there's been a few times I'm like, don't you have homework to do? I mean, shouldn't you stay home? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'd give both my sons something in the 90th percentile of attendance mm. for what they do. They did on Wednesday nights as well as for weekends. And that all came through the start of what happened in kids' ministries all the way through. I couldn't care more about the topic of what we're talking about today. It, it matters down to the my toes to what we're talking about. So I'm so glad we're starting even with kids' ministry. Even as you unpack that, Ray, what makes a successful kids' ministry? What does it mean to have that? Yeah, boy, there's a lot of different things that, that can come to mind. But for us in all of our ministry areas, it comes down to the same two wins. Mm-hmm. And that means, like, how do we know if we're successful week in and week out? And the first win is simple, and that is engaging experiences. And the second win is transformational relationships. So for kids and the experiences, you just have to think about this. Is it fun? Can kids participate? Can they play and learn and enjoy being there? Um, We we even want them to desire to be at church. I mean, imagine if a kid is at home on a Sunday morning and they're mad at their parents because their parents aren't up yet to go to church. That's a win for us. Mm -hmm. We want that to happen because it's such an engaging experience. Um, and the more engaging it is, the better it's going to connect with every kid. And the second one, relationships. Do people know their name? Do they know their story? Do they know their family? Is this a safe place, one where they can belong and love and be loved? Transformation happens 
in the context of relationship. And we want that for every single kid that walks into our doors. Mm-hmm. So those two things, that's how you know if you're successful. Transformational relationships and engaging experiences. Yeah, and we really do have some in, incredibly engaging experiences. I know my kids come home every week talking about what they learned, talking about the things they played with. And by the way, I, I don't need to camp on this, but church should be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> should be fun for all ages, but it should be fun for kids. I mean, they have to equate going to church, learning about God, having a relationship with Jesus with with fun. And I love that our kids' ministries are fun and relationships. I mean, this is probably similar to some of your stories, um, but I did, I grew up going to a church that didn't have all the bells and whistles, but I will never forget the name of the volunteer who was there every week who knew me, yeah. Dale. He knew me, knew my family, knew my story. And every single week I would get excited to, sh- to show up and see Dale. He was, you know, probably in his 60s, 70s at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that relationship really mattered to me as a kid. And I'm, I'm talking, I was six, seven, eight years old. And I still, it's just ingrained in me. They will never forget when they're known by people who care about them and love them. So moving on to students now, and when we talk about student, at least in our context, we're talking about middle school and high school, sixth through 12th grade. What are some of those key ingredients to actually reaching students? Because that's easy, right? I mean, it's easy to reach, no, it's not easy to reach students. (laughs) We've all been involved in student ministries, okay? They just turn a corner. That's why I said earlier, they go from snot-nosed babies, snot-nosed elementary to whatever they are in middle school. I'm, you know, I've got a nine and a five-year-old at home, so I haven't quite reached that yet, but but there's just different challenges for student ministries. And we have some, again, world-class student ministries. So Ray, what are some of those key ingredients to reaching students in today's generation? Yeah, well, I think it looks similar to kids. We got to go right back to our wins. And um, what does an engaging experience or transformational relationships, what does that look like for a student? And it's unique, and it's uniquely different than kids' ministry. So for example, students still want to have fun too. Just because they're older doesn't mean you lose the fun factor. In fact, sometimes you've got to crank that up a little bit to keep students engaged. Um, Their attention span isn't much longer than kids, but you've got to be able to engage them that way. And they also, they want to be treated like adults with with the permission to still act like a kid. And that's, that's not unique to students, but it's just such a beautiful thing to understand. They want to play, but they still want to have tough conversations. Um... But they also need a group to belong to. They, they, and when, in relationships and student ministries, it's so important to understand that they identify themselves by the friend group or the tribe that they hang around. And it's so important, the circle of friends that they have. And that's why it's so important to have the right small group leader and why small group is so critical and invaluable for students. Because then they're not afraid to ask difficult questions, and they have them. The things that they're facing nowadays as students is so much different than what it was a generation ago. Uh, think about this, the decisions they have to make, the deep questions they have about faith, because they do have those. And we want our student ministries to be the safest place on the planet for a student to talk about their fears, their doubts, their struggles, their passions, and their dreams. And they need pastors and group leaders that don't freak out when they ask questions about race, and gender, and relationships, and even how, how does Jesus fit into their everyday life? Because they're facing a world in school that they go to that is not going to support what they're starting to believe on their own, because it's moving from being their parents' belief or their church's belief to what do I value and I believe in as, as a student. 
And that's why every Wednesday night is so critical, that it's engaging, but also that they engage with their small group. Because if, if a student loves their small group, Don, like your kids, mm-hmm. they love their small group, they're going to invite their friends, and they're not going to miss a Wednesday because for them, it's the most important moment of their week. Yeah, you're right on it. I mean, talking about building a successful ministry from both of my sons, it is their small group. I mean, those connections that they've had in their small group are the game changer. I mean, for sure, so critical. Even my uh, younger son, Caleb, again, they're planning a prom because they didn't want to mess with the other school's proms. So they actually are, I don't even know if you know this, but it's a couple guys' groups, girls' groups are planning a prom that they're going to do in somebody's backyard. And then he told me, and by the way, I'm going to go to the White Bear prom too. So he threw that in there in the last minute. But <laughs> Bonus prom. No kidding. So he threw that in. But, you know, but that's the, the Is this an Eaglebrook Church sanctioned prom? Well, we can't say that. But, I, you know, it is, yeah. it is Eagle students. <laughs> All right, I mean, we'll have to so, talk about that offline here. We'll have to talk about that. <laughs> well, it is an engaging experience quite possibly. Well, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be careful. Anyway, it's, it's, so, it's so powerful, those groups, like you're talking about, as much as John, you talk about that person in your life. I would say my kids would talk about the group and the the way they've had those pivotal relationships. And they've just been, uh, you know, other students coming alongside of them, cheering them to go the right direction and a place where they can be cared for and they can care for others. It's so critical. And even, I just have to say this, as a dad, this is what every dad wants, isn't it? That their kids would have that kind of relationship that is Christ at the center of these relationships where they're encouraging each other, having fun together, and inspiring each other to grow in God's ways. And, and Ray, your ministry has fostered that. I mean, the work that you've done has seriously changed the, the trajectory of my kids' lives mm-hmm. and has saved them from so much heartache that they would have had if they didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And so, honestly, I am appreciative to you and to all the people that have invested in my kids throughout that you know, 18, 20 year window yeah. uh, that we've had. So is it fair to, is it fair to say that the engaging experiences bring them in the door, but the relationships keep them coming back? Mm. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great question, John. I, I believe it is because, and it's almost like a bait and switch with kids and student ministries. I mean, when you walk into our environments, a whole building on Wednesday night is just for students. It's like no adults involved and parents aren't allowed. Except for volunteers. Yeah, volunteers. <laughs> yeah, we can't do it without them. But yeah. I think that's what, what makes it engaging to a student is, you know, there there is the lights, there is the music, there's a vibe to it that's different on the there's weekend. Fun that's happening. Yeah, yeah and there's energy in the lobby and their parents aren't walking in with yeah. them because when you, you know, once you're in middle school, um, your parent becomes less influential in their own mind but they still listen to everything their parents say. So to have a small group leader that is actually saying the same things that you would say to your student, it's actually frustrating for some parents. It's like, yeah, my student came home and they said, oh, my small group leader said I shouldn't be doing this with my relationship. And you're like, I've been telling you that for five years. Yeah, right. Your small group leader says it once. Right. But that's the influence those group leader have. Group leaders have. And, and again, the bait and switch isn't necessarily true. It's got to be engaging when they walk in the door or they're like, oh, man, this just doesn't fit me. Yeah. But then once they get to know other people, man, it is. It's, it's, it's a cool thing to see them locked in. Yeah. And not only that, the transformation that happens in the life of every small group leader that's investing because they're like, oh my goodness, God's using me in a way to reach these students and their friends. And it's, it's, it's pretty exciting to see. Yeah. Mm. Man, the kids and student ministry volunteers are some of my heroes in the church. Oh, totally. The work they do, I, my son is fourth grade, about to finish fourth grade and we'll be going into fifth and I'm already anticipating when he goes into sixth grade. I'm praying already for that circle of friends. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Because it is so critical. I mean, oh. He's just innocent enough and he's not swayed enough yet, but I know it's coming. Mm-hmm. So 
maybe there's a question here, and I'm not sure if there's an easy answer, but for both of you, how do I ensure that that my son, my student, is surrounded by the right group of people? Is there a way to do that in student ministries? Is it I mean, maybe there's parents listening and their kids aren't involved in a church somewhere or involved in student ministries. How do I how do I ensure that uh, my son has the right relationships? I think you know I go first. I want to hear what Don has to say about this too because he's had such a strong relationship with his boys. Um, for for me as a parent, it was understanding the influence that I did have. And, and grabbing on to any of the friends that my boys were attached to to make sure that that involved them as well. So it's like, hey, if you're going on a retreat, who's going with you from your small group? Oh, well, what about Bryce and Blake? Because everything that my youngest son did involved those two guys that were in his group. And if they, that, that was the posse, man. So if they were going, Tim was going. Yeah. And it's so important that you do prioritize it on your calendar. Yeah. And I know that, you know, we yeah. all had kids in sports and yeah. that's a challenge because Wednesday nights are not sacred. No. Weekends when they're having big events or retreats or a summer event with summer takeover and those kind of things, it's really difficult. And you've got to fight for those calendar moments, but you've got to die on the right hills as a parent and say, listen, we're going to invest in your faith and still hold Wednesday night as something true because you need these friends yeah, in your life. that's good. But Don, how would you respond to that? I don't know. It's a great question because I don't know how much influence I had in it. I'm sure I had some, but, you know, making sure that your kids are going the right way as they step into these groups. And then you'll notice, I mean, at least for for both of my sons, it felt like the group was 20 kids large and a few of them were just there to shoot spitballs and, mm-hmm. and, and they had to kind of weather that for a while because both of my kids are not really that way. They're not spitball shooting type kids. So... <laughs> They both had to kind of weather it, but because they stayed so persistent and consistent in their their attendance that some of those kids that really didn't want to be there eventually would either move away or other kids who were more serious about their faith moved in. And it just, by just showing up week after week was actually probably the biggest thing. And again, they chose it as much or more than I did. And by their consistency, the group just got solidified and they grew in maturity in both life and in faith. And it's really stunning just to watch. I don't know that I played any part in putting them in that group. That's what's interesting about it. But what I can say is that we attend White Bear on Wednesday nights, but we don't even live that close to White Bear. And so even a lot of the students that both my kids roll with are not from our school. So it it is possible to actually keep building those relationships by just being consistent, I think is probably one of the biggest things. And then giving them the filter to know, like, well, I don't know that I want to be with that kid, you know, that's going to, even though he's a youth group, doesn't mean that he's always the right kid. Mm -hmm. And then they still have been able to kind of thread the needle as they've walked through. And I'm just so grateful that it's played out the way it has. I wish I could, I wish I could say more strategically on how it happened. Yeah. John, just for you as a parent and, and knowing the age of your kids, I think for Maddox, one of the best things that you can do is, you make sure that if he's going, when he's going to ground zero, that one of his best one or two buddies are going with him. Mm-hmm. So if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you're like, how do I get my student more involved or more engaged? It's that they bring a friend with yeah, them. That good. they're not in that alone. Standing in a lobby and you're at a place for the first time. And think about that for a sixth grader. This is the first time that they're not in an elementary school. They're in a much bigger environment than this middle school environment and they, they feel alone. 
and don't set them up to do that in church too. That's a challenge Mm -hmm. because our middle school ministry is changing at the same time their school is changing. So we try to catch them with their friends together Mm -hmm. as best we can so they can be in the same group and and grow in that relationship. That's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's convert a little bit more into more the next steps area that you also oversee because every person that comes through our doors, they need to to take a step and I believe they want to take a next step in their faith. So, uh, how are we trying to inspire people to grow spiritually? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I think that spiritual growth happens one interaction at a time. I mean, we want everybody to come to church every weekend, mm-hmm. you know, and I know that that's different with, with COVID. I know that that's different in each season, and a lot of people can catch up online, but you've got to be in those environments. Um, but but beyond just that weekend experience where you can come and go, we know that this is an, a, a church, a space where you can engage at your own pace. But but the challenge that I would say happens is, what if more conversations were happening between our volunteers and our pastors, where you get to know somebody's story and then you just ask them a question of, hey, outside of the hour that you come to church, what do you do with the rest of your week to grow in your relationship with God? And then from that, um, we can almost concierge options for them because you hear their story and you realize, you know, with the skills that you've talked about, have you ever thought about helping with kids check-in? Or you love the outdoors and you're not so great with people? Well, what about parking cars or being involved in in a, one of our ministries where you can help with our landscaping team? Um, I think it's the idea of like getting to know somebody's story and then saying, did you know we had a group for that? Did you know that we have Quest 180? Or there's divorce care, because if, if you've gone through that as a family, that's a really difficult situation. And so I think it's just hearing people's stories and, and knowing what steps are available so that you're, you always have options in your pocket to encourage somebody to take a next step. Yeah, just breaking it down a little bit more, what are some of the next steps? And I, I hear what you're saying. You can't mass produce spiritual growth and discipleship. However, we have some bigger bucket strategies to move people along in their spiritual growth. What are some of those things that we do at Eagle Brook and why are they so important to people's spiritual growth? Yeah. Well, first, let's just kind of go back to our five values, you know, that is is so ingrained in our vision culture that we want people to to follow Jesus mm-hmm. and, in, and to invite others to follow Jesus as well. We want them to spend time with God, to connect in community, to serve others, and to live generously. And like, what are the methods in which we do that? I think it's, boy, after you've become a a new believer and you've made a decision to follow Christ, you get baptized. That's kind of one of those first big steps. But also after you've made that decision, there's a new believer's guide of like, well, what is the Bible and how do I read it? What am I supposed to do now that I'm a Christian? And our team is even working on a plan for if you're new to your faith, what does that first year look like for Mm -hmm. you as a new believer? so that you can begin serving and understand that you're part of a community in the church that can serve others. But not only that, that you're involved in a small group where you can get to know other people because there is a basic need in each of us to be in a relationship with other believers as well as attending church and serving. So those are the big buckets that I would say are going to bring about the most transformation for people to grow in their faith. Yeah, that's really good. Anything to add, Don? Well, I just think, I mean, for me, one of the big steps in a large church is to get into a group. And, you know, what value do groups really still play? And I've been in my small group for 15 years. And it's, you know, five other guys. We've 
We've watched our kids grow up. We know each other's kids. We pray for each other's kids regularly. As a matter of fact, all of us turned 50 last year and we took a trip to Yosemite and, you know, we hiked for, you know, two full days. And so at one point, this is kind of cool. We were walking single file because it's just like that single track kind of walk, you know, walk. And somebody said, what, what do you, what's your prayer for your kid? And so each of us took a turn to answer, what's the prayer for your kids? And so we each rattled off our kids and then, well, we're, we're here for a, quite a while. Let's go ahead and pray for it. So while we're walking, we're walking through the beauty of Yosemite, praying for each other's kids by name. And that might be weird for some people, but for me, that's like what my group is, is taking on a physical challenge even, taking in the beauty of what God has for us and then loving on each other's kids, praying for them by name. And the reason I tell you that is because that's what I want for every person. You know, and it doesn't have to look like that, but but what is it that people know you, they know your kids, they know your your kids' names, they're praying for you and for your family. I, I want that for every person. And when a church is our size, we all need to have that. Uh, or we just get lost in the crowd. And and then you spiritually grow. You know, you step through that. So anyway, just to speak to the groups piece, which I know is a big part of what you're over as well, Ray. So critical yeah. to what we do. Yeah, are you seeing small groups are still an effective form of spiritual growth community for people? Yeah, I would say 100% they are because we do. We want a big church to feel small. But in addition to that, there's this, there's this interesting dichotomy, and that is there's a difference between somebody's felt need and their real spiritual need. Because, you know, hey, you can come to church whenever you're ready. You can volunteer when you're ready. You can get into a group when you're ready. But not many people feel that desire personally because they're like, listen, I'm from Minnesota. I come to church. <laughs> Isn't that good enough? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, man, my wife wants me to get in a couples group. And just what I want to do is talk about my feelings. Well, <laughs> so those aren't necessarily triggers that are going to attract somebody to a group. Just yeah. because we offer them doesn't mean they're going to. But what if we did a study on this book of the Bible? Or what if we had a group so that you could learn how to be a better parent or to be a more patient husband? So people will come to a felt need because they want to learn or they want to grow, not necessarily that they want to experience community. But to be honest with you, I don't believe one happens without the other. Yeah. That without people that are praying for you, that you're learning from, so that when one day you're going to go through a crucible, that those are the people that are there for you, just like you're going to need to be there for them one day too. And Similar to your story, Don, I've been in the same small group now for probably six to seven years, and we've seen the kids graduate high school. Yeah, We've seen the job losses mm -hmm. and the deaths of parents and the crucible of life hitting and um, the way that we encourage and cheer each other on and have real honest conversations is amazing. Yeah. And, and a lot of it has to do with what we're studying, but most of it has to do of just living in a Christ-like community in the context of relationship. Nothing yeah, replaces that. That's really good. Hey, since I have both of you here, I want to ask this question because in just simplest terms, Ray, you represent central side of ministry and Don, you represent and lead, oversee kind of the campus side of ministry. So I'm going to start with Ray, but then I want to hear you guys talk about this a little bit because um, in an organization our size, there's a lot of decision makers, a lot of people who have to weigh in on things. So Ray, starting with you, how do ministry decisions get made? If we have, well, we do have 10 locations and there's 10 kids ministries, 10 student ministries. I mean, just from your perspective, what gets decided at Central? What gets decided at campus? And how do you work all that out? <laughs> yeah, 
That's a that's not a short answer, <laughs> but it's a great question, and I think that's that's just the the strength and the tension and beautiful dance in a multi site church. Um, because for us centrally, I think what we have to determine is the how. How are we going to accomplish our mission? How are we going to help people connect and grow in these five values? And then sometimes it also includes the where. And those are, here's the goals or here's the expectations so that it looks like and feels like and sounds like and lives like an Eagle Brook kids ministry, Mm -hmm. student ministry, small group, guest services, operations, whatever that might be. So in doing so, the, the beauty of this is the collaboration and, and the close connection with our campus teams. Mm-hmm. Because we have to be able to be thinking long-term about the transformation of people. And when we're designing a strategy, we can't design a strategy that works for this campus. We have to design something that will work at all 10. Mm-hmm. And the challenge with that sometimes is even the most innovative or brilliant idea that would make something better, if it doesn't work at these two locations, then we have to whittle it down so that it does. Mm-hmm. And there's a challenge with that. Um, but the but the beauty is is you have to be asking the same questions over and over again. And here's a list of them. I'll, I'll probably bore you with this part. But um, you know, you ask questions about our values, and then you ask questions about what the goals are. And then, if we want to become a church of the Midwest, how do we know is it working, and what isn't working? And if we could do it all over again, what would we change? Um, is it relevant? Is it creating owners? Is there transformation happening? Um, and, and what do our campuses need right now? I think that's a question that, as a central team, we have the opportunity to ask more frequently because they're so good at what they do in developing volunteers and leaders to execute ministry, they don't necessarily have the time or the margin to think more forward. Mm-hmm. So um, how do we know if it's working, and how do we measure success? And there's all kinds of questions like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, lastly, I would say is I think centrally we have to think beyond the weekend because that's our role. And the way that I've talked about this in the past is, you know, uh, I grew up in the country, in the sticks, in northern Minnesota, and we used we used our high beams a lot more often than we used our low beams because you needed to see further out than just 15 feet. Hmm. But but when other cars were coming, you'd, you'd go down to low beams and you just need to see what's right in front of you. And a lot of times I think that's what it's like working in a campus. Because there's 51 weekends a year, another two, four, or six services, another several dozen volunteers and 100 kids, and et cetera, et cetera. And you can't plan too far ahead because you've got to fill this room and take care of this service. And sometimes the high beams is when they're thinking about the leaders they're developing this month or this quarter, and that's about as far as they can see. Because just out of necessity and the grind of what they're working in, and for a central team, we just kind of think from a high beam perspective, but also a drone view. We need to be able to see around the next four or five corners. What's the next town we're coming to? And eventually, as a leadership team for our church, you know, we all get to play a part in that, seeing it from the satellite view. If we're going to be a church of the Midwest and have all these campuses, how do we do that together? So the beauty of, of a central team is we have the ability to collaborate and learn what's going well with our campuses and what's not so that we can address things for the long term. Mm, that's good. Don, what would you say? How would you respond to that? Oh, well, you know that I think in visuals. So <laughs> here's, here's the visual. I forget if we've talked about this in the podcast, but you know, uh, I, I go to the caribou model that you know, if you go to a caribou and you order a mint condition, which is what everybody should order, 
Uh, it's a great peppermint mocha. <laughs> now, when I go to multiple caribous, I'm going to get the same drink. And that is not getting decided at that store when I go to that store. You know, somebody is deciding it before it comes to the store. And so you guys are the, the mocha makers. I mean, even as you just kind of think about your caribou experience, what's in the mocha, Ray kind of decides how much chocolate, how much coffee. How much, you decide the strategy. You decide what that's going to be like. John, you would actually decide the logo, the colors, the branding experience, how it's going to be marketed, social media. And so when I go into caribou, I'm getting that. But, but if you think about each caribou experience, you think about the manager probably has a little different way that they lead their staff. And the interactions you have with people are a little bit different. So at the campus, we really think people. I mean, it's all about how I'm developing people, how I'm interacting with people, and then executing what it is that was decided somewhere else. And, and the beauty of the Eagle Brook model is the more you keep doing that, the more that that stays consistent. Well, then you open up site number 10, which I think happened since we, our last podcast. You know, 20, 2,200 people came on Easter weekend. Now 1,200 people are coming on a weekend. That's because of the consistency that you guys have developed, which is getting implemented mm. at the campus level. Mm. So it does seem to work, and it's, it's messy. Let's acknowledge that, too. There often is a campus central tension. Uh, who's going to make this call? Who's not? And we're, we're still working that things out, those things out. But, but you definitely decide what goes in the mocha, we we de- we deliver the mocha. I love it. That's great. <laughs> great analogy. Great word picture. I love that conversation. And one of the reasons it works so well in our context is the relationship that you two have. So I think it it you guys model this top down. Yeah, there's tension. There's things to work through. There's oh man, I don't agree with that. Don't agree with this. But you two work through that conflict and tension so well that it models it for everyone else. We've never been healthier when it comes to campus and central. And it comes down to relationships that you have with the relationship you have with each other. So, well, yeah, that's we want the same things. Yep. I think it's the difference of uh, sometimes it's tough and you can have a little bit of turf wars because I want to take care of our people. I mean, I want to make sure that, that my team is healthy and happy and Don wants to do the same with his. And, and most of the challenges that we have are just in communication. It's not even about the strategies. Yep. Okay, final question. We're coming to an end here. And Ray, I want to know what are some of the ways that you and your team have innovated over the last the course or the course of the last year? Yeah, um, great question. I think um, I'm going to use one example uh, that just kind of went organization wide, and that was um, over this last year, understanding that we had a, a bigger need for volunteers than any other season. And how do you get somebody that has been attending online to finally start to attend in person to actually engage and become a volunteer? So we can't, we can't be successful, and all of our campuses are, are struggling to have enough volunteers and qualified volunteers to run these amazing ministries. And they were hurting. So how can, and anticipating those needs, one of the strategies that came up through a, through a group that worked together was something we called Six by Six. And that is asking people, hey, what if you just served one time a month for six months. Hmm. So six months, six serving opportunities, and that you gave this a shot. And it gave them an opportunity to dip their toe in the water. And what we learned from that is we had a ton of people sign up. I think it was, um, and, and not only the, the number of people that signed up, but the ones that stuck it out and actually started to volunteer more because what happens happened. Yeah, And that they get connected, they feel yep. part of a community, right. they get they get engaged with the mission and they just love being there. Yep. So it's an idea of like you give somebody an easy in and an easy out and yep. a predetermined amount of time, they dove in and it worked. Yeah. 
Again, not so, a bait and switch. You're saying, yeah, you can hop off in six yep. months, but most people stuck around because, oh, this, right. again, they're taking a step spiritually. Something's happening within them. Like, I didn't know I needed that. Yeah. I'm fulfilling a greater purpose, a greater mission that God's given me. Yeah. That's great. And hey, just, just once a month for six months. Yeah. And, and it worked. Uh, another thing is really just trying to utilize technology. There's, there's so many different things that a pastor or a leader or a staff member needs to know at a campus. So what we wanted to do is to create a digital resource where they could go for any of the questions they had. Mm. So we created this flip book uh, digital version that's called our ministry guide. So if you want to know how do you do a funeral or um, what is the paperwork that you need to onboard a new volunteer or to recruit somebody or what should it look like at a a parent-child dedication or a baptism or in Cadodio or how do you train a new teacher in Elevate, all of those resources are there so that our campuses have this like quick um, way to access information without having to wait for an email response. Mm. You give access to everybody and we change it quarterly, and with the collaboration we have with all of our campus teams, we mm. can keep it updated and change it where they have access right on their whatever device they're using. Mm. That's great. All right, to conclude, you guys, I've loved this conversation, but uh, Don, first, any final thoughts or remarks? Well, I just go back to how grateful I am for Ray and for what he's done for our kids, students, and even just helping our attenders take next steps. I mean, we're a better church because of Ray and the work that he's done. And like you said in the beginning, he's the master of figuring this stuff out. He's the chief cheese ball in reference to another podcast. He's the guy that dishes out the caribou uh, recipes for everybody and, you know, we we benefit from that at the campus level. So I'm grateful both as a, an attender but also as a parent and as someone who works here, thanks for all you do, Ray. Yeah, Ray, what about you? Any final thoughts? No, I mean, on the, on the ministry development side, it's, it's an amazing team. There's 25 different staff leaders and directors, and uh, it's incredible what they do. I've had the blessing to be able to be a part of this um, and, and kind of architecting a lot of the central things with this team over the past 14 years, and it's, it's been awesome. But our campus people... They're the ones that are having all of those difficult conversations and recruiting volunteers and taking care of the snotty-nosed kids or the crabby teenagers, (laughs) and um, they do an incredible job at it. Awesome. Well, thanks for being our guest today. That's all we got for this episode of the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. When leaders get better, the church gets better. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you for the next episode of the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. Mm -hmm.